Hey awesome nerds and welcome to a bonus episode of D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where we rewatch or recap television shows we really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept and characters could be used in role-playing games. Uh, however, this is a movie episode. Since it's a bonus episode, it's not going to be about TV at all. It's going to be re-watching a, well, for in my case, watching a movie um, and about how the themes, concept, and characters can be used in your role-playing games. I am your host, Jeremy, and I am joined by my co-host, Afif, who is currently staring at a bagel as though it is the only thing. It is everything in this universe. I had a bagel yesterday, and it was amazing. Weird flex, but okay. No, that sounds great, actually. I, um, that regret was my that prep I... for this episode. <laughs> I regret that I don't get to have bagels more often as I really, really enjoy a bagel. Oh, the bagels I had in New York. Uh, I could talk and go on and on. Surprising the bagels never came up when we were talking about Gossip Girl, but that's another story. I am in a mood today because uh, we are talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. The 2002 superior multiverse film, I would say. Uh, given that there's, well, a, there's a bunch of them now. There's a whole genre were. of multiverse films. Yeah, which was interesting to discover, um, given that multiverse, the concept of the multiverse goes back so many years, back to uh, the flash of two worlds in 1953. Uh, I believe it was, well, actually, that's the comics one. I might have got that year wrong, but that's when it went back for the comics. Uh, but yeah, multiverses, huh? That was. I feel like they're not that present in other media, or at least, I feel like there's been a, a kind of like building of momentum of in cinema at least where like directors and stuff are trusting audiences i guess to understand the concept i think yeah i wonder about that i'm wondering whether it's something that's been building for a while and now the directors and writers who grew up on some of these stories and particularly these stories on tv um through sci-fi are now reaching the age where they're the ones making the films and being able to get these things in the room yeah, and the multiverse... I mean, how do you feel about multiverses, I guess? I can take them or leave them. I like the concept. I don't like too much bleed between multiverses. Um, probably yeah. the most famous recently would be the CW multiverse, where it's like, it's Supergirl, and it's Clark and Lois, and it's Arrow, and it's Flash, and they all just kind of jump between realities. It's like, I don't like that because it stops having anything have stakes because it means like yeah. and rick and morty as well like keeping yes. stakes important in rick and morty is kind of a thing like they're they're kind of hitting that wall right now they are saying no no this is important that we stay here because of reasons um the less said about rick and morty overall the better right now anyway uh thanks to justin roiland allegedly <laughs> oh yeah uh, I mean, I think they kind of jumped the shark pretty early with that anyway, and just having the whole... Because they have that, the world that's just full of other Ricks and stuff. Like, that's already... Well, that was that was taken from comics as well. That's the, um, the Fantastic Four idea, that they went to another reality, and basically there's an outside reality where all the Fantastic... All the, all the Reed Richards have joined together. The Council of Reeds, it's called, which is why it's the Council of Ricks in Rick and Morty. Oh. Yeah. And which I always love because, of course, there's always one Reed Richards that's evil, but the other of Reed course. Richards kind of lobotomize them before they, before they get a chance to really be evil. I mean, that's kind of the problem of 
of multiverses, I guess, where they have their pros and cons, right? I think, mm. like you, I could kind of take or leave them. Um, but they do basically ask a lot of questions. And I think, yeah, it is easy to overdo it or for it to, to kind of fall apart. And you lose, once you lose that thread, it just, everything unravels, you know? Everything everywhere unravels? All at once. I do recall there was a particularly good DC animated film. I think it was tied in with the Justice League Unlimited. Um, I think it might be Crisis on Two Earths. Either way, it's where the the crime syndicate, the evil versions of the Justice League come to this reality. And this is when they realize, oh, wow, there's all these, there's a multiverse. And essentially our man, the opposite version of Batman realizes he's a complete nihilist, nihilist. And goes, if I can destroy the prime reality, all the realities cease to exist. Oh, I think I I do remember that, yeah. And I just remember, because they managed to get him away, and he's like, he has this moment where he could stop the bomb, and he's like, eh. Yeah. This is good enough. uh, That was a good show. And that's a good way of handling it, yeah. Um, God, DC's animated stuff is so good. Yeah, no, it's re- they kind of made they were the ones I feel that really hit the multiverse right originally. Like they got it, multiverses always end up falling apart because of continuity. Right, it's, it's next to impossible to publish that regularly with with comics, like every week basically, and keep track of all the stories and make sure everyone's following the guidebook and everything matches up with everything else. But. They did a pretty good job of going, okay, this is happening in this reality and that's happening in that reality. And sometimes they're going to cross over, but the rest of the time they just have their own adventures. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously that comes back to the big Marvel elephant in the room, I guess, because that's that's the whole push. I think you've got obviously the Doctor Strange and the Spider-Mans and even the Spider-Verse, you know, which is a separate thing, but still kind of the same i think that's been all the multiverse momentum we've got going at the moment i'm wondering whether the multiverse momentum that's a good word for it the marvel multiverse momentum uh triple m if you really want to be nasty is essentially because they've had the big everyone's got to watch these movies from from the avengers and up to endgame yeah and and it it definitely was like like where do we go from here right yes yeah well, I'm thinking that they know that they can't always have hits. Eternal showed us that they can't always have hits and sometimes things don't work. So if they introduce the multiverse and have a few, you know, TV shows, movies where they deal with that, but at the end they seal it all off and everything's taking place in its own story. If something flops like Eternals, well, not flops, but if something doesn't get accepted as heavy, as as strongly like Eternals did, or if something like um, um, Moon Knight changes the con- the the canon for how gods work, or Thor, Love and Thunder changes how gods work, they can go, well, that was a different reality. You can ignore that one. Yeah. We can say, that was a different reality. This is the one you're watching. And they basically get free reign to do whatever they want. All right. Well, speaking of the one we're watching... Okay, yes. Speaking of everything everywhere all at once, uh, yes, what would you like to say about that? Uh, well, let's, let's get back to it. And yeah, yeah. What happens? We... I want you to tell me what is the plot of this film in, in basic terms, um, simply because 
I tried. I tried being like, okay, I'm going to get a simple, you know, one or two sentence um, uh, synopsis of this film. And that yeah, way I'll have Netflix it for the episode. Writer. Yeah. So I want to see what you say. Writer. I want to see what you say. Actually, all right. I found one on IMDb. All right, sure. Okay. And we'll see whether it tracks. We're waiting. Okay. Um, I've got it here. Well, I think first of all, we need like a shorthand for the, the film title. Because we can't be saying the whole thing every time. Eow. Eow. Oh, Why don't we just call it every, everything everywhere? That's what I, yeah, that's, that's my go-to. Yeah. All at once is too many syllables, but everything everywhere is easy. Oh boy. Where to, where to start with this film, okay. huh? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, Starring Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. Michelle Yeoh, who's amazing in this film. Um, I'm going to admit something. I, for some stuff, reason, yep. can never remember Michelle Yeoh's name. I'm racist? see. I was like, "Oh no, is that racist?" But I I keep confusing it with Minya Wen, who's also kind uh, of an action star. But she's in like way less stuff than Michelle. I know. Like, they are but it's also terrible. become that thing. It's like, oh, it's Michelle. It's it's now. Hey, it's that woman. I never remember the name of. Yeah. No, I always forget the name. Ugh, I can't even. Well, I can't. I can't bring him up because I forgot. I forget yeah. The name. But, Sometimes you just forget like, names. <laughs> he's like the old Japanese guy. He's not old. Well, now he's old. He wasn't always old. Was, <laughs> That's uh, how time works, yes. Scorpion? In the Mortal Kombat movie? Oh. That guy. Yeah. Okay. Was, that was a fun movie, by the way. The first one? The original? All of them. Why not? Okay. <laughs> not um, in their own way. Sure, yeah. Okay, yeah, I can see. The, the person who plays... Um, the, the dad. Com- it is. <laughs> the guy who plays the dad in Everything Everywhere. Not the not um, Waymond. Um, uh, Evelyn's dad. Gong Gong. Gong Gong. I know him from so many things. No idea what his name I is. Know him, I know him as uh, the goose slash duck from Kung Fu Panda. Who's his dad. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I think of him. Uh, the other so guy anyway. I'm thinking of is Hiroyuki Sonata. Hiroyuki Sonata. Which I'm sure, sure is a name that'll jog your memory. Does. Mm. Yes. All right. For reference, Gong Gong was James Hong. James Hong? No. See, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't remember that name. No. So, what, what's the plot of, uh, of Everything Everywhere? Okay, we got, we got Evelyn. She, mm-hmm. Evelyn? She's... She's living the American dream, right? She's yep. a business owner, has yep. so many taxes to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, everything, like so many American films, is just about money. Uh, mm-hmm. Money and stress. Uh, and But she's the chosen one, of course. Except her chosenness is due to her ordinariness, right? Which we find out kind of later in the film. Spoilers. Uh, she's, <laughs> yeah, well, she's special because she didn't achieve anything. Uh, whereas all the other kind of versions, I love this so much as well. Like yeah. all the other versions of her are just like, they're special because they actually did something, but she's special because she didn't do anything. Well, she, oh yeah, I don't know about that. I have thoughts on that one. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, there's the whole, that we find out there's a multiverse and you can jump between different multiverse consciousnesses. And it's, it's very sensate. If you ever watched sensate. Oh yeah. I forgot um, about sensate. Yeah. 
tragically cancelled. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, bagel. Bagel. Yes, that is a very good non-spoiler description uh, of it. Do you think this is a spoiler, spoilery movie? I don't think. I think there's moments that if you knew about them ahead of time would ruin it. Would kind of ruin it. Like they're little yes. moments. Yep. Yep. Like if I said googly eyes to you. Yeah. They're moments. Or, ho- or hot dogs. Yeah. yeah, or hot dogs. It's like these are things that you know once you've seen the film. And if you haven't, you're like, the fuck. But yeah. you kind of have to see it to understand it. Like I could explain it, but it's better if you don't. And I think uh, it's not even like a spoiler in the traditional sense, but it's mm. like you just, I think you owe it to yourself if you haven't seen this movie to just go in blind. Like the less you know, the better, I think. Yeah. I think it's because it's got that surreal, weird dream aspect where these things only make sense when you're experiencing them. Like if you, if someone explains like the good bits of this film to you, out of context, you're just like, I never want to see that movie ever. Yeah, like, some of it sounds it, it, it sounds bad on paper. Like I'm going to assume that everyone listening to this has now seen the film because if you haven't, if I'm going have, to put a sp- yeah, the uh, butt go plugs. Stop, stop the podcast. Yeah, stop the podcast. Go watch it. Yeah, the butt plugs in particular. Yeah, like of if I tried to explain that scene to anyone who wasn't already invested in watching this film. They would look at me like, the fuck are you into, man? Oh, but it's so good. It's so good. good And it makes so much sense. And it's so clever. But it's a little bit of, uh, okay, sure. Yeah, I'm sure that that sounds really good, buddy. Yep, way to go. Uh, All right. All right. That was your description of it. Here's what IMDb has. A middle-aged Chinese immigrant is swept up into an insane adventure in which she alone can save existence by exploring other universes and connecting with the lives she could have led. Ugh. <laughs> I was going to ask how you feel about it. It is a nothing. And I do find it interesting that neither of your description or this one mention um, Stephanie Sue's character at all. They don't mention Joy Jibuku. Yeah, she is like the uh, antagonist, but see, I was spoiled for that just from hearing reviews when I didn't think I was going to go right. see this. And I, when she was introduced in the film, she's like all like the face is covered and she's like all secretive. And I was like, Oh no, do I know too much now? And almost immediately it's revealed. Yeah. And I was like, that's cool. I'm into that. Yeah, they didn't. I don't think they put in like they weren't like trying to hide it that much. You know, it's like it's almost like a theater production sort of thing where you like, you know, you you put uh, a fluffy shawl on someone and say like, oh, they're a sheep now, and you're like, clearly they're not a sheep, but like <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like the illusion of it kind of thing. Uh, now I want to bring this back to role playing games in particular. Oh yeah, that's what we're yeah. We that's are. We're, we're not going to just gush over the film. Um, this idea of having the main character or one of the characters child as the villain they have to defeat. Mm. How do you feel about that? What as you don't play as much as a character as a, as a player, I should say, you're always the runner of the game because you love the attention, right? Uh, it's more about the power and control. Okay, cool. 
Just wanted to make that clear. But how would you feel about making one of your players' children the villain? Um, I think, well, to tie in with our earlier, like, butt plug discussion. Yes. Um, of course. It's important Children to have, and butt plugs. Yep. Yeah. Natural segue. Yep. Um, it's important to have safety tools and to, yes. to discuss this stuff. This is, I think, a, an out-of-game, out-of-character conversation you need to have with your players. Okay. Um, this is not something... Depending, it depends on how well you know your players and where you know that kind of line is, but generally speaking, this is not something I would just spring out of the blue without discussing mm. beforehand. So if a player came to you with backstory and basically said, I'm a parent, but my child was kidnapped and I'm out looking, this is why I'm on the road, I'm looking for them, or I had to leave and they were, were taken by monsters or something like that. And you went, okay, there's a seed here. I can make them the villain later on and be angry at this character for abandoning me. You don't think you'd, you'd pick that up without talking to them first? Um, I might, but I would definitely make them redeemable. I wouldn't have them yeah. just be kind of a blanket bad guy. That's certainly something I've done with my... Um, my group, one of my groups, I had a druid who basically, I can't remember why they left, but they, I think their, their child was either kidnapped or left behind um, during something. And it was revealed halfway through to the group and to me that that was happening. And I basically ended up saying, yeah, they were kidnapped, but then they were sold to a fae deity and now they run the wild hunt, like in, in the fae wild. And eventually yeah. you're going to have to go and talk to them. But it kind of came up that they ended up encountering them anyway, and the child just wanted nothing to do with them. If it had come up later on in the story, the child would have been a villain against them. But as it was, it's just like, no, you abandoned me. Go get fucked. I don't want yeah. to talk to you. I want to go and hunt things, because that's my, that's my life now. This is the people who raised me. A similar thing you can do is um, have a, a child that they didn't know they had. Oh, yeah, that's fun. I was just thinking Critical Role as well has done yeah, that's a, something that's a very similar. One. That is a particularly fun one. No, no spoilers, because I suspect it probably will be done in um, Legend of Vox Machina eventually. Oh, yeah. Which uh, those who haven't watched it, hey, maybe someone would want to come on this show and it can come full circle. The D&D show, which became a real show, now gets talked about on a podcast about D&D and inspiring shows. Oh my gosh, I feel like there'd be a, it'd be difficult to like make connections though between that show and yeah, it doesn't seem like something that'd be be possible. Unlike everywhere, everything everywhere, which is very easy to make connections. Uh, I mean, we just did. We made a good inspiration one, like just having someone very closely connected with a main character as the villain. And I think there was a similar thing that I just listened to in monster hour, another podcast, which does monster of the week. So this isn't necessarily just a D and D thing where it was more of the character's mother was the villain. And there was a point apparently during the, the recording where the game master stepped aside and said to the character, Hey, what are you going to do at the final battle? Are you going to kill your mother or not? Because whichever you decide is right. And I just want to know which way I want to lean or you want to lean so I can go in that direction as well. And that's the kind of choices I think that characters kind of have to start thinking about, because if you're going to redeem them, like you said, it's better to have a redemption story with, with children, particularly 
how do you get there? Yeah, and like a redemption thing is very, very like satisfying and rewarding when it's done right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's oof, how do you get there? Well, you gotta like have them be bad. Like <laughs> that's the you yeah. Know, you gotta the, have them be, and you can't have them be so bad that they go over the line or are irredeemable, and everyone hates them. And they're like, well, now they've got to die. It's like the it's like the opposite of like you know the bigger they are the harder they fall. It's kind of the mm. opposite of like the worse they are the more rewarding the redemption is. Yeah. Do you feel that the the movie sticks the landing with the redemption? Um. Yeah, I think because it's not even she's not like evil. I mean, we we don't want to get into a whole thing about mental health a lot. Well, debating. Um, alignment and stuff like that but you know yeah. she's not she's pretty like nihilistic it's, it's not really mm. so much a kind of evil motivation i think so she's more well here's my other thing i mean is, <laughs> is that evil like is nihilism evil? nihilism she, I mean, she's when, man right she's man she's man well that's the thing yeah. that she's evil because she's enforcing her viewpoints onto others without their consent sure like she sees that everything's happening all at once and she's, I'm in so much pain, so I'm going to make pain stop for everyone. It's like, well, those people aren't in pain. It's just you. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Which, yeah, but of course, then when she shows them the bagel, it's like, well, they're just like her. And I thought that, that was so well handled. Like all of it that she, when she finds Evelyn, what do we call her? Evelyn, the one we watch. Uh, it's just Evelyn, I guess. Just yeah, we'll just Ev- Evelyn because we don't really Evelyn see. Prime. We see other Evelyn. Yeah, Evelyn Prime as opposed no, she's to Alpha not the Evelyn. Prime one, technically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when she like kind of evolves into the same version, there is that kind of discussion of, oh shit, I was hoping that you could help me with this. Yeah. I mean, every time like you bring up a discussion about something, like, my mind is just like racing. Like, oh, there's so many things to talk right? about. Like, it's everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> I think, okay, here's one thing that I want to say would this film and these ideas, which would be particularly this villain, would be very good to do or inspire me to do for a role-playing game. And that's to deal with depression in a safe way. Because to me, yeah. to me, Jobu Tabaki is it Jobu Tabaki? I'm close. I'm pretty close. Uh, I, yeah, like Jobu. Yeah, it's Jobu. Jobu. Jobu is depressed. Like that's kind of the whole feel of it. Like nothing. She feels everything, but she doesn't feel anything. Yeah. So she's got all these emotions going through her, but in the end, it just makes her just flat. And to me, that sounds like depression. Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> I love the silence. We're just going to have the beat of silence. So, I'm editing that out. Just, uh, yeah. He's just picking up the phone yeah. and calling someone. It's like, yeah, is Jeremy okay? No, I think that this is a way of going, okay, this is a way of having a, an abstract concept as a physical being that you can deal with, not through the normal means of, I'm just going to punch it in the face because that doesn't work 
on an abstract being. This is someone you've got to talk right. to and I work see, I away. See where, I see where you're going now. I'm, I'm following yeah. the thread. Yeah. Yeah. Was, <laughs> you you, got, you got on the train. You got on the train. Yeah. I was trying to put together with RPGs and I was like, let's, okay. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. you'd have an adventure where Jobu is the villain, but when you can't defeat her, this is the kind of the point of the movie that there's no way to actually defeat her without becoming her or without seeing her point of view. And that idea of, okay, well, we find something else and what are some techniques and basically make it a therapy session, but cache it around or frame it in an RPG format, like use monsters, use other things to build up to that, that point. Right. Um, I'll be honest. I'm not as super on board with this as you are. Oh, jeez, he got off the train. <laughs> yep, uh, the train was starting to pick up speed, and I thought, nope, and I jumped off. Okay, um, that's fair. That's fair. You're wrong, but it's okay. I think, it, I think it's. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um. But it's it's a tough thing. It really depends on your players, I guess. I'm yeah, like I'm, I think it's definitely hmm. I have. I'm having difficulty kind of picturing that with any of the players I've ever played with, just ever. Well, listen, um, do you think your players would want to play that? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, but I feel that there are some players that would very much want to play that and look sure. at the ideas, and this would be a game for them. Like, there yeah. are games out there which is the same thing. You go into somebody's mind and you deal with their depression as a physical beast that you're killing. But you're doing that by going around and finding the good memories in their in their mind and using those to defeat it. Right. Yeah, this is a uh, This is much more abstract. Yeah, it's well, I'd say it's not as abstract because oh, yeah. you're I mean if it's just like Okay, maybe it is abstract. I'm I'm losing sight of the train. It's it's gone from me. The train has left the station. It's in the next state. A thief's just standing on the on the platform waving goodbye. Bye. You know what? It's like that, that's that's one way of doing it, all right? The the simple way, if you're like me and you have a tiny brain, you just go, uh, this is the depression monster, and you have a monster, and it... it, it yeah, it's just a depression. big dark cloud yeah, and it attacks and you. Just, and you just punch it enough and it goes away. And then you have that's exactly like how depression works and, in my, in yeah. my impre- uh, experience. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think probably the... Stre- the even in the film the fact that she's depressed is a little bit more abstract. Like it's the same that Evelyn is, is supposedly has ADHD, like undiagnosed ADHD. Yep. Uh, and that's not actually discussed in the film, but I think it's the same level. That- yeah. I mean, even at the end, like post resolution, it's not that much of a resol. Like it's a resolution, but there's still obviously it's like, well, we didn't fix the problem, right? We just learned to live with it, kind of. Yeah. I mean, isn't that kind of the point of it? That yeah. you can't... That when it's everything that's the problem, you can't fix it. You just yeah. kind of got to deal with what you got. Uh, yeah, I just... Again, it's like... It really does come down to expectations and what people want out of a game because i know so many people yeah. who would be so unsatisfied with that they're just like i want an end this is a fantasy game i come here to escape reality mm-hmm. i'm reminded of there's a tip in um tales of the yawning portal and it might have been in the original 
uh, Tomb of Horrors as well. This is uh, in the remake, where at a certain point, there's an illusion which made it seem like the entire tomb collapses and the players have like a certain amount of time to get out. And it actually says in the notes, if they run away and leave at this point, say, that's the end of the module. Did you think it was too hard? And just go and just refuse to play anymore because they left. Unless they really, you know, really push you to, to keep going. But kind of that, that sort of feel to it, I feel that some people really want that closure. It's like, that's the, the whole, oh yeah, but the world goes on. Um, that's not really enough closure for a lot of people playing this game. Yeah. I don't know why I went on that tangent. It was fun. I, I liked it's a, it. Though. I mean, it's it's the sort of movie, like, it makes you think, right? You just... Makes you laugh, it makes you think, dun, 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 and then the thing... Sorry. Yeah, you're just there sort of afterwards. Um, I, I, I pretty much cry every time I watch this movie as well. Yeah, I can see um, why. It's the um, it's the butt plug scene again, isn't it? Yeah, it just brings. brings <laughs> no, it is. It's a wonderful. It is a very wonderful film. It. I think I might have mentioned previously. There's a Madoka Magica anime, the one about the magical girls, and it's very famous. I can never actually remember the title of it, but the entire last twenty minutes, I was sobbing, and it has a very similar message to this where yeah. somebody just kind of goes, no, nah, because happiness instead. And it's it's that, that feeling. It's like when there's just love and kindness there instead, instead of nihilism and, and pain, it's affecting. I don't think most players at an RPG are going to get that. You're not going to be able to get that reaction out of them. I think that's a tough one to, to, to achieve. Yeah. Um, um, and yeah, yeah, that is a tough one because it, it requires a lot of. It can be hard. It requires a lot of build up, but mm. then certain like tone and stuff can be hard to develop. I think in RPG because the problem with requiring a lot of build up is that ideally it happens across multiple sessions. Yeah. But then between sessions you have like breaks, obviously, and people come into sessions with different moods and things like that. So. It's hard to maintain that consistency and, and continuity there. Yeah, and I certainly think that if you're not in that hyper-focus that a film gives you, where you can just sit down for two hours and be like, this is the only thing I'm doing. Um, yeah. Like, I, I, you're more immersed, I feel, or you can be more immersed in a role-playing game. You make it a lot more personal and invest a lot more in it, but that gap between it... And... Okay, I'm going to hang shit on D&D. D&D is about punching monsters in the face. And you're not going to get that reaction when you're just, hey, the big bad, I punched him in the face. It's like you're not... have You have the heightened emotion, but you're not the same one. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people... It's okay, a lot of people are ragging on D&D lately, so... Well, D&D's ragging on D&D lately. I mean, yeah. what? <laughs> um, well, you, yeah, okay. So one thing I wanted to talk about Okay. was the pacing. Yes. Because I think, and I don't know if it's necessarily the pacing is, is what you'd kind of categorize it as, but I think more than any other movie, I I can remember, like in recent memory watching, this one just had me absolutely like glued to my seat. 
like i was just so so in the moment so there like the entire time um that's interesting because i don't think i was glued to my seat it might have been the method i was watching it did you see it in theaters or i did not unfortunately oh okay i was wondering if that was something about it i certainly the first half i was oh yeah this is cool and i was like i was shifting around and being like oh I'm excited by this. Then the second half, I was wrapped. That's when I was like, I got to know where this is going. This is amazing. And then the last act, which obviously is the the most important one. Not I lost it, but I kind of... Uh, yeah. It, it became drag. a little It became a little more frenetic, a little bit more schizophrenic. Yeah. And it dragged a little bit more. And I was like, yeah, okay, I can see where this is going. Yeah, okay, get to it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's still going. And it lost me a little bit there. There was a few like, oh, this is the big moment. Oh, wait, no, actually the big moment. There's, oh, wait, this is the big moment. Oh, wait, no, yeah. wait, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I didn't mind. I feel that it's had that much of a roller coaster so far that you do kind of need to drag that out a little bit just so it doesn't feel too abrupt. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it lost me a little bit. Well, you Well, like applying that to a tabletop rpg yes would you D&D, just an rpg yeah nondescript tabletop role-playing game yes um i feel like having a big satisfying ending is pretty important like mm-hmm. I, at least that's the way that i run my games um mm-hmm. especially doing i mean we both do a lot of one shots it's true i think especially especially for one shots i find yeah. that to be an important thing um but what, what's your take on that oh pacing is always a tricky one I think the one shots that we often run have a time limit. And I think that works particularly well because by now we know it's this time. I need to ramp that up a little bit. So it gets to a satisfying ending. I need to pull back on this if we're going too fast, that kind of thing. Um, I think in general, you do still want to have a bit of a cliffhanger at the end of the session to get people coming back or people excited to come back and asking questions and thinking about the game later on. So you do need to kind of pace, pace your yourself and pace the, the adventure, but also you don't want to start a combat with half an hour. Like you don't want to start a combat at 11 PM at night. If you're running D and D because it's going to take hours. Yeah. So you kind of got to work out. All right. They seem to be going here do I want that combat now or do I store them a little bit with an NPC and just some shenanigans for a little while and just keep everyone in a light, happy mood. And then we go into something next week. So is this for a, this is for an ongoing campaign? For an ongoing campaign. Yeah. For an ongoing campaign, I think pacing is a lot easier to handle because you know, they're coming back pacing for a one shot. I, this is why I like running the same thing over and over because you know, the pace. And you know yeah. what works and you know how to get everything right. But I still have the same sort of thing. I know that if the big boss fight is coming and I've got 15 minutes left, I'm going to make it epic. I'm going to make sure everyone gets a hit in and then it's over. Rather than just yeah. kind of the general draw it out and it's a real slog and it's it's tense. It's not tense. It's victorious. So I, I kind the, of adapt the pace depending on what the feeling I need is. Yeah. Um, because I for one shots, I do think it's important to have a, a, a satisfying ending. 
because that's what we're conditioned to have stories be, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think one of the, a big revelation that I had throughout my DMing career is that combats, they don't have to, like, end when everyone dies, you know? Like, yeah. I think that's... We're conditioned, like, the video game kind of like, oh, you know, kill, wait till the HP bar reaches zero. But, like, mm. combat can just end in so many ways, right? Mm. People can run away, people can surrender, like... All sorts of things. This is one thing I particularly like about Vampire the Masquerade um, for its combat system, that it basically goes, if you go three rounds and there's no victor or there's no very clear victor, you go another three rounds and then that's it. Even if it's three rounds, you sh by now, you should have figured out who's going to win and you can just kind of hand wave what happens after that. Oh, interesting. I like that. Yeah. Essentially, it's at that point... Like, you're either going to be vampires just ripping apart mortals or vampire on vampire. And after those three rounds, chances are one side has got a definite upper hand. So you don't really need to do too much more. And you can get back to, you know, the diceless angst that vampire is famous for. Yeah. Uh, and But I really like that as well, because as a dungeon master or game master... Um, but particularly in D&D, &D, after about five rounds, even after a couple of rounds, I get bored. Oh, like, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, the monster's going to do the same thing. And most of the time it's like, I stand here, I hit it, I hit it again. Oh, the rogue's going to hide? Great. And I was like, I don't want to do this for another two hours. I want to have something exciting happen. So I'd much rather they run away or a dragon shows up or something else occurs. So yeah, I think what you're saying is exactly right, that... Combat doesn't have to end when everyone's dead. Combat ends when one side gains a clear upper hand and the rest of the side surrender or they run away or whatever. Yeah, and I think... I know that there are... I've had a lot of players who want to see it out and, like, yeah. they're, they're really into the nitty-gritty and it's like, like, oh, the goblins start running away and they're like, how far away are they still? You know, can I still keep launching fireballs at them for the next three rounds? Like, are they still within 120 feet? And it's like, they're... they're if they're dead, they're dead. If they get away, like, it's not... It's inconsequential at that point, like... See, what do you think they're getting out of that? Do you feel that they want to continue the round structure or do they want to be the one that gets the killing blow on it? Ooh, I think it's wanting to utilise their... what they have to their fullest ability or effectiveness. It's like, if yeah. something's in range, I want to shoot it because yeah. I can. Yeah. Because in that that situation, I just go, cool, you shoot it, you hit, you kill it. Yeah. Exactly. Don't roll the dice. I, you don't need to. You're going to continue to do this until you get the result you want. So I'm not going to draw it out by making you run half a mile after this goblin because you just keep rolling poorly. And that, I think, also ties back to game design and the mechanics. Because yeah. when you look at something like, you know, like the longbow has a mm. range of like 300 feet or something like it's yeah. insane and imagine you you place a whole bunch of enemies there 300 feet away and you just play out you know like 10 rounds of just the the ranger shooting non-stop and everyone else dashing to try to get <sighs> yeah. across there <laughs> like, uh yeah but it's like you wouldn't do that and it but at the same time it's like well what's the point of the range on the longbow then you know like mm. if you pick this to to be this long range and raises questions yeah 
there, there's there's some issues, and that kind of comes in with every game where it's all about range and shooting and and things like that. It's like, well, do we really need to know the entire range? And if somebody's sniping, do we need to go into initiative and have everyone realize it and have everyone everyone act when we could just do it as descriptive? It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that, that's combat. Now, speaking of combat, I want to talk about the um, the action sequences in Everything Everywhere. Because amazing, can Ugh. can we say? Um, so good. So fucking good. I mean, I... Kehua Kwan, who, um, who plays Waymond, is that... Is, did, did I pronounce it right? Write in comments if I spelled it Waymond? right. Waymond? Waymond. Yeah, Waymond. I don't know how to pronounce the actor's name. I'm saying Kehua Kwan. Kehua Kwan, sure. Yeah, who played uh, Short Round in Indiana yeah. Jones. Um, and I mean, I have so much trivia about that. He was in Goonies as well. Goonies, yeah. <laughs> but he hadn't worked in 20... 20- anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, amazing. Did not know he could act like that. Did not know he could do martial arts like that. Yeah, I mean, I love the like a meta narrative behind this film as well and like mm. the stories of the the directors and everything like that mm. um it's great yeah he him uh, coming back is great he was great in this movie wayman's a great character i apparently he has said that um spielberg lucas and someone else has reached out to him after this being like hey we should work together it's like mm, where were you 10 years ago <laughs> yeah but that's neither here or there. I want to talk about so this sort of action. Uh, what I mean, I guess it's kung fu because she learns kung fu. Yeah, I'm and guessing I mean, there's other styles Mich- in there too. If you've got Michelle Yeoh and you don't, you don't have her doing kung fu, then that's yeah. a waste. Yeah, it is a waste. I mean, uh, again, apparently um, Wayman's character was meant to be the the main character, and Michelle Yeoh was going to be the the Wayman character. That's a really interesting video essay about like Wayman's character arc which I'll, I'll mention afterwards because it will take forever if we get into it now yeah but, send me yeah, the link and I'll put it in the show notes but sure. so going back to the combat do you think you would be able to recreate that in an RPG do you think it would be interesting or do you think it's a little bit too complex and, and fast paced and people would just like lose track of what's going on or just be weird oh okay I think there's a lot of potential. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you're looking at those fight scenes, you got to like figure out like what it is, what is it about them that you're trying to tap into? What is it about them that you're trying to recreate? Is it, I mean, I'm assuming it's just like the nonsensical nature of it all. Well, I wouldn't say the nonsensical. I think just that, that aspect where when he fills the, um, the fanny pack with the rocks from the fish tank, and there's just that moment. So I don't need to see every blow. Well, every blow was cool. But I want that moment where he's just like doing the cool little strap of it and just like dropping it on the ground. I want that atmosphere before the fight. I really want to get that feel oh, out of it. Okay. And then sure. when the attacks start coming, it's like, that's just hit and miss. But really get into the description of why is it a miss? Why is it a hit? What do you get out of it? interesting because i would lean more towards i think i think a lot of combat it's so easy to get into a routine and like sort of you end up in this rut almost of just like oh we're just constantly doing the same thing Mm. Um, which i guess is it's it's a feature not a bug of 
the gaming systems because it's like oh we design our characters to to be good at a certain thing so of course we're going to yeah. keep doing this certain thing um but i guess like yeah like a forced kind of like forced improvisational weapons i guess would be kind of interesting kind of bar yeah. fight style um one thing i just remembered from that fight that i really love is the the goon the security guard goon who um i know one point his friend gets hit and he he calls out oh craig <laughs> yes <laughs> oh i love that um and then he's he's like about to get hit and he's like oh shit and gets hit like yeah little i think those little touches are, are really great as well i think those are the easy touches to make a fight memorable yeah um and to make it a bit more i don't want to say abstract but that idea of each time you roll the dice that is not one swing right yep like this is flurry of blows over six seconds and the dice is really kind of that thrust the one that would damage in the case in, unless they block it or manage to go through and actually pierce their hide kind of thing so yeah and I'll, I'll even put like uh like multiple turns from like different characters you know like if someone does something like some someone does something really flashy and then someone else immediately afterwards lands a critical hit then you say like oh you're like inspired by the actions of so-and-so before you you know mm. and to, to bring it all together and just kind of do it as a as a um kind of a combo move like somebody comes in yeah. and smacks the knee out and that brings the other person's face right in towards the fist and it just kind of works uh so it feels like that same sort of fight i know there is a system called feng shui um i know it's feng shui but it is pronounced in this system feng shui i was, gonna, I was, I was thinking it, i wasn't gonna say it uh, I'm going from from the one shot podcast where they ran it a couple of times. I'm listening to all the episodes, and it's basically classic '80s action martial arts films and Jackie Chan style films. So each role that you make is a shot of the film. So you do kind of just say, "I take a punch," and then you just roll to see if you hit or not. But you go, "I do this," and it's just, "Do you succeed or fail?" It's not, yeah. "Do you hit?" It's like what? What's the cool move you're trying to do? And we'll just assume it does damage if it if it works. It's like it's it's not so important. And I like I think I want to do more combats like that as well, where yeah. it's it's more descriptive and it's a little bit more about the environment. It's not just I swing, I hit, I miss, I hit. I would uh, posit to you as like a counter, not so much a counter, but some food for thought. I think mm, food for four. part of the I think one of the issues that a lot of people face is that it's difficult to be creative. Yeah. Um and even in that sort of I'm not super familiar with whatever system you're talking about exactly <laughs> how it works. You're not going to um, say it, are you? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the aforementioned system. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um yeah, but it's depending on what sort of, you know, people need, I think for the most part prompts um yeah and you know i definitely don't begrudge any sort of players who who do just kind of fall into that pattern of oh i roll and i hit and i think it's it just you got to give them something to work with as well uh that they can build off you know yeah no i think that's that's very fair that part of being a game master to me is being that person being the one that takes what the little bits of breadcrumbs that other people give you and describing it all for somebody else because you're the storyteller. That's kind of your in your job description sometimes. Yeah. 
Um, it's like, oh, what's a good analogy? It's like, oh, it's like you buy someone a Lego set. Yes. Okay, and I'm on board so like, far. What are you getting? Yeah, me? and it's like clearly there's a picture on the box that says this is what you're supposed to make, and like yes. this is how you make it. But yes. they don't have to, right? No. Um, but if they're stuck and they're like, oh, I don't know what to make, then hey, there's there's a picture, and they they've got somewhere to go. Yeah, and you could also kind of give them ideas. Like my most common one is Eldritch Blast in D and D. I get a lot of warlocks on my tables. I say, what does your Eldritch Blast look like? And then I give them two examples. And it's like, hey, does your Eldritch Blast look like dark shadows rippling out from your arm and like shooting towards them? Or is it like more like a, a electric bolt, little lightning bolt blast? And that gives them a couple of ideas and they can go, yeah, sure, one of those. Or they can come up with their own. Yeah, I like that. Because... Um, I'm I can I'm guilty as well of like falling into patterns sometimes. It is very easy to do that. Yeah. As a game master. Yeah. Um, Particularly when you're doing one shots and you don't have to like come up with something new to entertain the yeah, same people. When it's different people <laughs> and you can just do the same know, ones. Yeah. They don't know shit. Of course. It's great. Yeah. Um, but that can be obviously a bad habit as well in its own way. Hmm. I'm thinking also one way of capturing the I guess the energy and a little bit more of that wackiness from, from everything everywhere's fight scenes, like what you were saying, like, Oh no, not Craig is adding those little bit of elements and trying to keep combat and things moving each time and not just make it about the dice and about damage, like add little bits of flavor to it. I remember a combat I had recently and this stuck in my mind because of how, I guess, not i want to say not stationary but there's a different word how active it was that i had the group trying dynamic? to yeah dynamic how dynamic the movement of it all was that i had a group trying to get a, a noble out of an opera box and he had two bodyguards which were going to kill him if he tried to escape and they got him out and the bodyguards are chasing after him but the thing was they were chasing after him not after the party so the party turned him invisible and he just starts running around the room trying to get away. But the bodyguards were able to see invisibility so they knew where he was. So they're running around the room as well and the party's chasing after them and they're chasing after him. And it's like all this movement as they're just like, no, I'm just going to keep going and not really care about you and occasionally get a hit in. And it became like this kind of wacky shenanigans. They try to figure out what's going on and they'll like, throw a rug over him and stuff like that because it wasn't just I stand in the doorway and I hit them again yeah and I think things like that where you add in other elements where it's like oh yeah the room's on fire or there's a butt plug that you have to be holding onto at all times or instead of these weapons like you've got the improvised weapons which are double-ended dildos kind of stuff yeah I would put these as maybe environmental <laughs> yes um, <laughs> and, and, and specifically like it doesn't have to be necessarily the environment itself, but I think it needs to be something that affects everyone, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, it affects everyone sort of equally, more or less. Um, and I think or it's... Or even, not, even hmm. not so. Like, if the bad guys get an advantage because of it, then that's incentive, you know, if it's... If it, the room fills with smoke, but then they the bad guys have blind sight, you know. Yeah, or gas masks or the, something. Yeah, it's in, incentive to clear the smoke, right? Yeah. And that, that provides a, an interesting distraction from just the regular hit. And then I think if you are the game master in that situation, to keep bringing it up, 
to keep reminding them of you're doing this thing while this other stuff's going on. Like in Everything Everywhere, when she has the riot shield and she's using the, the pizza spinner's uh, skills. Oh, yeah. Like they keep flashing back to the pizza spinner. So you kind of have that, that montage of it's a pizza spinning skill rather than just her being cool about it. Uh, roll for pizza spinning? Roll for pizza spinning. So it's it's sign spinning. I just want to put it. Sign spinning. That's true. It's not yeah. pizza spinning. <laughs> not I pizza have spinning. a I have something. This is the only time I wish I was fast enough on recording things on my phone. I was down at a pizza place one time, just waiting for my pizza. And on the corner, there was clearly a spot sign spinner who was walking home from his job doing something else, but he just had the sign with him. And he's standing on the corner waiting for the lights and he's just kind of practicing his sign. And he's flipping it around and like tossing it up in the air and doing it around behind his back. And about 20 feet away is the pizza place's mascot in like this big ass gopher costume with a tiny little handmade sign just kind of wiggling it backwards and forwards. And clearly, like, I don't know if they were watching this guy or what, but I just wish I'd had the phone to go from one to the other because the the mascot looked so depressed. Oh, oh so I was, it was wonderful. I, it really doesn't do it justice because this guy was good. Uh, the skills that you don't know you have. That was a segue that I was trying to get in. Yeah. Thief didn't pick it up. Uh, I was wondering whether you'd be like, oh yeah, like the skills in, in the game. Uh, uh, <laughs> not in the game, sure. in the movie. Um, no, it is interesting. I do like, I know there's one... Uh, very kind of rules like RPG system I like called oh what's it called oh you awaken in a strange place Ooh, and it's that very good. it's very improv heavy and it's very like silly um, hmm. because at the start you basically have no rules and you have no world or whatever and it's all just done with the players you know everybody hmm. I think one person comes up with like a setting one person comes up with like a theme and so on oh very um, improv then yeah yeah you just mash it together um, but everyone also comes up with like skills. Um, you pick mm-hmm. like one skill that you're really good at, one that you're like okay at, one you're bad at, etc. Okay. And you so could like say flaws. like yeah, yeah, like flaws. You could say like sign spinning or whatever. And then yeah, throughout the game, you have to try and pull shenanigans in, in relating these random skills you've chosen, uh, and as to how how that would actually apply to the situation. It's very fun. That does sound really fun. And but if yeah, I guess that's kind of like that. It's like, because you've got these random skills and it's... It's, it's, the, it's um, like trying to figure out how they would apply, you know? It's... Yeah. I'm sure yeah, you've yeah. had plenty of players do that where... It's like, I got nature. Do I know what the king's saying? It's like, no, <laughs> because he's a king. He's not a he's not a goat. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I find that... That would be interesting. I like... I think you could do it something like if you're building an entire system around this concept of being able to download skills that you could just kind of give them as much as they wanted if they took a hit somewhere else. Yeah. Well, in everything everywhere, it's not so much like a a drawback. It's like the weird thing, right? Yeah. Um, Well, I want to talk about the weird thing as well. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say like as a parallel, maybe it's more of like an RP thing, basically like, Mm. Yeah, if they if they pull it off, you know, if they describe it well enough, if they they can kind of, I don't know, 
There's something there, right? Well, I'm wondering, because dice are kind of what that aspect is for a lot of lot of role-playing games it's like yeah you can give it a try but the dice are going to decide whether you do it so you've got a certain you've got a certain probability of whether it happens or not like that's kind of the point of it oh yeah sure but i'd like to draw your attention okay so there is a series of books called Discworld. i don't know if you've read them i'm hoping some of our listeners have um but there is also a role-playing game based on it from using the GURP system the generic universal role-playing system and one of the key aspects of Discworld, this is a thing that goes back to one of the early novels, is about million to one chances. And I'll go on a little bit of tangent, I explain this. Basically, in one, one, um, uh, one book, there's a dragon in the city and some of the, the heroes go, oh, well, dragons have a vulnerable spot. Like we've heard about this from, from stories. So we know if we're in the right spot and we fire an arrow, it'll hit that vulnerable spot, million to one chance, it'll kill the dragon. And as they're waiting for the dragon to fly over, someone goes, you know, the dragon's going to come pretty close. Is it really a million to one if we succeed on like this? And they start trying to hedge the odds to make sure it's a million to one. And this is what the weird stuff trying to like kind of got from me from, from everything everywhere that you've got to try and figure out this. You've got to be like, okay, I'm going to try and defeat that dragon, but it's a million to one if I'm hopping on one leg. So it's actually built into the rules of the Discord role-playing game. If your, car- if your players come up with ideas to bolster the odds in their favor, to make it an even unlikelier chance, reward them. But also be aware that 999,999, it's not going to work. It's got to be yeah. a million to one. It's got to be a million to one. Because no one says it's half a million to one, but it just might work. Yeah. So that kind of felt that idea of you can get added bonuses if you make things harder for yourself, but make it a more epic fight, I guess. If you make it something that's so unlikely because you've taken this this worst thing for you overall. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that phrase it's, a lot after I go on a little bit of a tangent like that. It's definitely yeah. a style of game. Yeah, uh, I think. I mean, it's tough, right? Because it is one of those things of like, where do you draw the line of this being just too ridiculous? I guess. Yeah. Well, um, I think, and also if too you, like, yeah. If you're wanting to have the atmosphere of everything everywhere, you want it to be ridiculous. Yeah. If you're wanting it to look cool, then you just go, yeah. You want it to look cool. Let's give you a bonus if you make it look really cool in our mind. If everyone goes, yeah, that's really cool. Then you just add a little bit more to it. Yeah. Um, What I'd also put out is I think even though there is a lot of seemingly kind of randomness to everything everywhere, Mm. uh, a lot of it does tie back together. And I think that's one of the, the brilliant things about the movie. Uh, is how many how many things are like hinted at earlier and just yeah yeah I mean was it the um the Rakakuni Rakatuti Rakakuni yeah Rakakuni that's hinted at and you're just like oh funny but it does feel like later on it's like this is just a bleed from another reality yeah that was I loved that bit I shouldn't have loved that bit so much it's it's it has no right being that funny um, What's the guy's name with the... who plays plays the the not the raccoon obviously the um the other chef? I don't I don't know I think he's if I had to guess he looks like someone from Glee like 
I'm looking it up now. I think it's Harry like, Shum like Jr. Too looking, you know. Uh, doo -doo -doo. Um, it just says he's Chad. He is from like Glee. The, the raccoon puppet. That's oh, hey. Yeah, he was Mike Chang. Of course. Oh, and he's a dancer. That makes sense. It's yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, that's right. I think he was the guy in in Glee who the the joke was um he has something in common with his girlfriend. They're both obsessed with his abs. <laughs> anyway. Um what was I got, I got distracted abs? by his handsome. Those abs, yeah, that happens. Um, I hope it's the right guy. <laughs> I just searched and it's like Chad. It seemed like he was a Chad in the episode in the in the movie. Chad. Chad. I've lost, I've lost my train again. The train's gone. Uh, we were talking about the raccoon. Okay. And we were raccoon. talking about the randomness and how it's all connected. Randomness. Oh, well, I like the idea that um, the the hot dog finger world. Yes. Um, is actually really important because Evelyn's in a lesbian relationship in that world. Yes. So that helps her connect to uh, what's it? Joy. Yeah. Joy. Yeah. Jabuku. Um, so yeah even though it's at first it's just like this the more obvious thing is like oh well she can use her feet now because of all the hot dog hands yeah um and a lot of it at first it's like oh shock value and then second of all it's like oh it's because of the feet but then there's like that subtle undertone as well it's like oh maybe it's it's like the the relationship there that's actually what's most important can we also point out the acting of jamie lee curtis as deirdre in all those roles <laughs> Like, oh, she's great. Oh you can God. tell she had fun with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like that as well. And particularly when she goes there and they're tracking her, like the, the alpha team are tracking her, they just say, she's gone off the map. She's like out of anywhere we can imagine. And isn't, yeah. that, the, isn't that the point? That, that, um, that Jobu, Jobu, Jobu Tabaki, I need to say it full name, otherwise I, don't, I can't say it properly, there's certain things that she can imagine. There's certain things that she can't. She's experiencing everything, but there's things that she holds holds onto. And kind of the fact that she's a lesbian is one of those. It's like, it seems like she's gay in all these realities. So good on her. Yeah. Like that's kind of a point. That's that's something ingrained into, into her being. But she would never even see that reality as an option. And partly because she doesn't exist in it. Yeah. And I think that's really telling you that that's kind of the one that's able to go, well, there's actually more than you can imagine. Oh, this movie's so good. It's so good, everyone. It's so good. Oh um, my gosh. Another thing. Okay. So another thing I wanted to touch on. Okay. Is bringing it back to like the whole idea of multiverse, I guess, and all the, yeah. the options and things. Bring like it that. around. Bring it around. Um, well, first of all, multiverse for your tabletop game how do you feel about that um i like the idea in theory i need to work on it in practice i like the idea of a number of one shots where you all play the same characters um but you never actually progress until you've played a certain number of games so essentially you're all the different versions in all the different realities oh um i like that idea just as a 
just occurred to me then. There is another version, again in GURPS, the the standard setting that they had, because the idea with GURPS general universal role-playing system is that you can put pick this up and put it into any sort of game. It can be a fantasy game one week. It can be a 1920s game the next week. All the rules technically work the same. And one of the things they have there is basically universe jumping. That there is a a hub where there's a group of time travelers and they just kind of jump between realities, make sure everything flows smoothly, picking up people when necessary, that kind of thing. And sometimes you fight Cthulhu, sometimes you fight Hitler, sometimes you fight you know, your own demons, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I like that as well, where you're the group going around to all these different realities. So you get an opportunity to go through the multiverse and go, you get to be sliders, essentially. It's like, this is the world where everything's shrimp. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of tabletop role-playing games will very quickly kind of like veer into the weird and the wacky. I think that's a lot of people's tendency to do so. I think that's what's improv leans to as well anyway yeah um and a multiverse is a good way of addressing that i guess um i do yeah so in my home game because it's based on an established setting i very early on had like a a time related incident so basically we branched off into a different timeline and because of that you know i don't have to worry about like messing up the canon yeah i feel if you're acting in a licensed setting uh, for want of a better word, you kind of have to do that. Uh, well, it depends on how much people respect the source material, I guess. Or... I guess that's true. I'm thinking when I run Eberron, the standard setting for Eberron is, I want to say it's 997, um, like the year's 997 or something. And it's like five years after the Great War, or after the, the last war, that kind of thing. I like to move it forward a little bit and have it two years after that. So I can change some of the established law if I want to. And yeah. also that, that makes it kind of the turn of the millennium and like has a bunch of extra, extra drama. Okay. Yeah. But I think moving something from the setting or changing something about the, the license setting to say, yes, you know that one and it's basically the same, but here's a difference. So you don't go, yeah, we're just playing the plot of the movie again. Yeah, and I think I think that's important as well to separate it and distinguish it so it isn't just, you know. Mm. I think um, that's good if you are playing it and you introduce multiverses, like you're very clear that that's going to be a part of the game, that you can then go and visit the the licensed multiverse, like the, yeah. the licensed one, and you go, hey, that's different from ours for these reasons. Yeah, that is neat. I like that. That's fun. Yeah. Um, the other thing about whole multiverses and everything is that all the the different universes exist because of, of branching decisions, essentially. Mm. Um, and I think in role-playing games, obviously you roll a lot of dice, which creates a lot of potential outcomes. It's true. Um, and I know I definitely have... There have been moments as well where I've regretted dice rolls. Um, mm. I know my players <laughs> definitely have. <laughs> regretted some of their roles um which is it comes you know it's part and parcel of tabletop role-playing games i guess but um i don't know where i'm going with this i guess that's a I, good there, point a thief well no, there made. was a fun thing no i did like the um because they do address that in everything everywhere especially the 
film actress version of Evelyn. Yeah. She's talking to like successful Waymond. CEO Waymond, I think he's called. Yeah, and it's like there's definitely a lot of like, well, what could have been. Um, that's definitely a theme as well of this film, and that's a thing that comes up a lot in tabletop role playing games. Do you? That's, that's another important one since Jobu doesn't exist in that universe either. Yeah. Um, so do you like? Because sometimes you know players will wonder like, what would have happened differently if I'd rolled differently? How much of that? Do you share with players how much do you like fudge the dice to avoid certain things and i generally don't fudge dice to avoid uh outcomes i fudge dice to make things more interesting um like if somebody's going to go down because they just took a critical hit i'm not going to fudge that to go oh you just took a little bit of damage but yeah. i'm also not going to fudge it to make it worse for them yeah i'm going to go okay they need this and it progresses the story along. So it worked because that makes the story better. So that's why, why I fudge. If a, I'll never tell a player when I did it, of course. Um, but if a player says, that? hey... All of Jeremy's players, Jeremy fudges all the time. I fudge Every all the time. Role. You will never know. You will Every never role. know whether it's a fudging or not. Never it know. Does remind, it does remind me of my blank dice that I have. Yeah. Where, yeah. <laughs> It's exactly like that. Sometimes I roll, don't even have a reason. Yeah. It's just rolling and then I tell you something happened. Hey, game masters out there, I've got a set of dice that are completely blank. They got nothing on any other side. But they're Mm. fun to roll behind the screen when players ask for stuff because they think you actually roll. Even better when you roll a bunch of them for damage. Like you roll roll five blank ones and one real one. You're like, oh, I rolled so poorly. You took four damage. Well, now we're getting like conceptual because it's like, well... So many other things in the world, you do just decide, right? Like, as the game master, you do just decide, okay, this is going to exist this way, this thing's going to happen, but at some point, there is, like, a line that you draw. And people expect there to be a line of, like, no, 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 this stuff you have to roll for. Yeah. Um, It's interesting, yeah. There's stuff that I roll for and stuff that I'm like, I will roll for this, and if it's the outcome that is satisfying for me and the players, then I'll accept it. If it's an outcome that's satisfying for me as not the players, I'll consider changing it. And if it's an outcome that's satisfying for no one, I'm changing it. Yeah, I mean, the dice help. Because sometimes you uh, sometimes you don't know what to do as the game mm. master. You're like, you're not sure. Yeah. Do they, yeah, we'll just, we'll just go with what this, the dice say. Should they just steamroll this fight or should it be like a tough one? Like, depends if the big bad makes his save on, you know, on banishment or whatever. Just see, mm. see what happens. Yeah. How did we get on this? uh multiverses different different things that happened um oh yeah do you do you ever share with your players oh that's right that's right yes because yeah. <laughs> i did have something more to say on that one that um occasionally if they say hey what would have happened if we'd chosen a different path i'll give them the like well you'd have gone here and if if there's no way of going back there if like they've killed yeah. whoever like what if we hadn't killed that person well then they would have done this that kind of stuff i'll tell into like two categories of either like they do well and they want to know what would happen if they hadn't done well or Mm. if they do poorly and they would want to know what happens if they had done well and i think one of those is more appropriate than the other yeah i'll never tell them what would have happened if they'd done well or better than they did yes i'll only ever tell them when what would have happened if they'd done poorly yep 
And a lot of the time that's just like, Phew, you guys got lucky with that, otherwise such and such would have occurred. Yeah, and I think that can help as well. Like, maybe because they get lucky and, you know, crit the boss and kill him super quick. So they don't really get a chance to appreciate how much of a threat he might have been. Yeah. Um, so in that sort of thing, you know, it's good. You can bring that up sort of after the fact to, to help kind of sell that and to make the, the victory feel more rewarding as well. Yeah. That's when you go, ah, oh, I didn't even get to use my breath weapon. I have so many more powers. Ah, yeah, oh, I'm dying. Great. You never had a chance. I mean, you, that'd actually be fun to do when it's someone who's really weak. <laughs> just like all the, yeah, all your peasants just have one, once per lifetime disintegrate. Yeah. Whereas if it's somebody who, um, if it's somebody who really want to see all the cool abilities, just go, this isn't even my final form and change and change into something else. I think I saw Super Geek Mike was saying about that. He's like, I realized halfway through that this thing had resistance to cold and they'd been hitting it with a bunch of cold damage. So I just went, oh, well, it suddenly shifts and now you see icicles form across it and now it's got resistance from cold. Actually, I really like that, actually. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to do it. It's like, all right, cool. I'll just put on the hit points that, that it did lose and we start the fight again, but they've used up some stuff. I think stuff that going back to like dynamic fights and stuff i think stuff that happens mid-fight that changes um the the, the states the, the stakes and of what's happening yeah. in the fight yeah yeah that's always really cool like suddenly have a, a tidal wave come through and suddenly you're drowning as well as fighting yeah yeah tidal waves they're awesome um we are starting to go a little bit over time so is there anything i want i want to throw two ideas at you real quick sure just get your thoughts okay. on them okay so evelyn older hero for or against an older hero yeah like she's how old do you reckon she's supposed to be 40 50 let me check how old michelle Yeoh actually is i thought michelle Yeoh was like in her 60s because she looks amazing she is 60 yeah that's what i thought jesus so um, she's 60 i'm i'm down for it uh uh, I think it's not really fair to use Michelle Yeoh as a as like a basis for that though, given okay. her, her background. What if we use Bruce Willis as an example? Okay, you keep picking people who look younger than they are and are uh, <laughs> very very athletic. How about uh, Samuel L. Jackson? Okay, sure. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, he's getting on. He's like seventy now. Oh no, you need to. <laughs> You want an example? Liam Neeson. Jump okay. on the fence and taken. Sure, sure. Have you watched that video? I haven't. I don't think oh, I want to like, now. It's like him jumping a fence and it's like, it's like a two, three second video and it, there's like 14 cuts. It, there's just so many cuts. Uh, like, see, I, I, when I said older, I didn't necessarily mean like 50s 60s 70s 80s i meant more sure. older than the traditional hero which is yes 16 to 33 or 16 to 39 sure. which i think i think batman's always meant to be 35 and that's kind of the the guide for most heroes um so more older than that someone who's okay, had sure. a lot of their I'm, life I'm already down. has children you're down for it cool yeah cool that's great. That's an inspiration. If you watch this film, make Evelyn based on that. And secondly, uh, how do you feel about making the Cosmic Horror Bagel the massive world-destroying item of your campaign? 
I mean, Unsleeping City did it already. Dimension 20's already done it. Like, a bagel? Yeah, they have an everything bagel and it's all cosmic and everything. Yeah. When was that? When, that was ages ago. Yeah, it was. It was ages ago. <gasps> yeah. They stole uh, everything. Everyone stole it from... One of the characters eats it and then becomes like one with everything, essentially. Spoilers. Okay, maybe we don't make specifically a bagel. I mean, something very innocuous. That sure. is. Did you pick the... up, by the way, the the sim- symbolism between the bagel and the googly eyes and how they're like inverted colors? I didn't. Fuck, that's good. Yeah, it's so good. That's so smart. It's the opposite. It's the. It's... Oh, God. God damn it. This. Okay. <laughs> okay. But let's say it's like, um, what's something that just strikes terror into you when it's an everyday thing? Like vacuum cleaners? Like sure. a dog? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're, it's a little bit space balls that, hey, your evil genius has this massive vacuum cleaner and he's going to vacuum up the universe. Yep. And you've got to su- figure out a way to stop a vacuum cleaner. But it is actually a terrifying vacuum cleaner that'll like suck your face off. I like, like it. Ha- I love it. You like it? All right, cool. So I think it's fun. I think it taps into a very like childlike kind of sense of wonder that mm. is easily lost. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to recreate with role-playing games. We're trying to play pretend again and yeah. re-establish that curiosity and creativity. Um, I also quickly want to mention... The, are we doing the character thing as well? Do you do that? We can. I, we don't. I mean, I know you've listened to all the bonus episodes so far, um, yeah, as everyone course. listening to this has. I know how this works. Yeah. Um, no, I also wanted to mention... God, the thing with Wayman's character arc, and one of the things I love about Wayman oh, as well yeah. as a character, is um, how he addresses toxic masculinity. Yes. Um, and there's a great video essay on YouTube. Just look up Wayman, toxic masculinity. You'll find it. Um, but basically, when we first see Alpha Wayman, we think like, oh, like this is the cool Wayman. This is the Wayman to be. Mm. Um, but he doesn't actually change throughout the movie. He stays the same. And instead, it's us as the audience, our perception of him and what we value or what we, you know, look to value in a character, that changes. So that's the arc. It's like a weird kind of reflection. And I love it. That's really smart. Well, is it us as an audience or is it what Evelyn values as well? Well, yeah, very much Evelyn with, well, us as an audience through Evelyn, I guess. She's the protagonist. Yeah. Um, she's our yeah, point when, of view character. Yeah, because when Alpha Wayman is first introduced, it's like, oh my god, this guy, he's hes incredible. He does everything. And then, he's so sexy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just so wanted to say that to get a Fief's reaction. All right, well, it looks like we're wrapping up. We're wrapping up time here. Uh, uh, we don't have to do characters, I think. No, we don't do characters. There's, there's a reason. Like, films are very different because they generally have one main character. Yeah. And they don't introduce a whole bunch more. Like, we could just pick one. And it's like, well, yeah, it's probably going to be the main character. So we okay, don't do great. the... You pick Craig? Craig the Goon. Craig the Goon. I'm going to pick Chad um, uh, because of his love for the raccoons. Yeah. <laughs> he was his best friend. Yep. Coming this summer. Chad and... <laughs> Chad, Chad and Raccoony. I just love that the raccoon was just so, like, brutal. It was like, she knows too much. We're going to have to kill her. It's like, <laughs> wow, dude. This is different from the rat for sure. Okay. Uh, but that is us to wrap up I'm trying to think of a, a phrase that we can say um, go see everything everywhere all at once it's fucking amazing 
and it may not inspire you as much as it inspired us, but it will certainly be damn enjoyable. Uh, if you really enjoyed this, if you enjoyed the film, just come talk to us on or talk to me uh, on Instagram. Um, and what's the other one? The email uh, at dndntvpod at gmail.com or it's just at dndntvpod at, um, on Insta. I don't know how I'm going to find clip uh, shots and screenshots to use for the for the advertising for this episode. There's just so much in that film. Oh, just googly eyes. It's just going to be googly eyes. I have so many googly eyes. I'm on board. I'm 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 happy again. Uh, so until next time, Afif, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank You're you welcome. so much, so much for listening, everybody else. And uh, until next time, stay safe, be kind to yourselves, and may all your hits be crits. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.